Hello, I'm Nicole Abadie and I write about books for Good Weekend. Welcome to the Books, Books, Books podcast in which I interview the best writers from Australia and overseas about their latest books. Thank you for joining me. Today I'm delighted to be speaking to Megha Majumda on Books, Books, Books. Her debut novel, A Burning, has been described as the must-read novel of the summer by the Washington Post and masterly by revered New Yorker critic James Wood. A Burning is published in Australia by Simon and Schuster. Mega was born and raised in Kolkata, India, which is where the novel is set. She moved to the United States in 2006 to study social anthropology at Harvard, and she then completed a master's in social anthropology at John Hopkins University. She now works as an editor at award-winning indie publisher Catapult and lives in Brooklyn in New York City. Mega is one of the New York Times four writers to watch this summer, and a burning has featured on the cover of the New York Times Book Review. Mega, welcome to Books, Books, Books. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It's such a pleasure. Could we start by you telling us what your book is about, please? A Burning is a novel about three people who are chasing big dreams while the society around them makes this really dangerous turn toward right-wing nationalism. Would you like to start by reading an extract from your book for us, please? I would love that. I'll read just a little bit from the beginning. You smell like smoke, my mother said to me. So I rubbed an oval of soap in my hair and poured a whole bucket of water on myself before a neighbor complained that I was wasting the morning supply. There was a curfew that day. On the main street, a police jeep would creep by every half hour. Daily wage laborers, compelled to work, would come home with arms raised to show they had no weapons. In bed, my wet hair spread on the pillow. I picked up my new phone, purchased with my own salary, screen guard still attached. On Facebook, there was only one conversation. These terrorists attacked the wrong neighborhood. The night before, I had been at the railway station, no more than a 15-minute walk from my house. I ought to have seen the men who stole up to the open windows and threw flaming torches into the halted train. But all I saw were carriages burning, their doors locked from the outside and dangerously hot. The fire spread to huts bordering the station, smoke filling the chests of those who lived there. More than a hundred people died. Promised compensation to the families of the dead, 80,000 rupees, which, well, the government promises many things. In a video to the dozen microphones thrust at his chin, the chief minister was saying, let the authorities investigate. Somebody had spliced this comment with a video of policemen scratching their heads. It made me laugh. Mega, thank you. So the book starts with a terrorist attack on a train and the book opens with Jeevan reading on Facebook about that attack. You've told us about what happened. Could you tell us a little bit about Jeevan? Jeevan is the central character of the book. She is a 
young woman who wants to rise to the middle class. She wants to keep her job at the mall. She wants to enjoy her new phone. Um, but she gets into big trouble for a politically risky comment that she makes on Facebook. Let's go back a little bit. How old is she, Mega? You know, it's not defined in the book. In my mind, I always saw her as someone perhaps in her 20s. And what religion is she? She's a Muslim woman. You wrote this book over a number of years. And one of the things you've said about it is that I started writing from a place of alarm and anger and wanting to bear witness. What was it that you were wanting to bear witness to? I think there has been an alarming rise in hate crimes, in intolerance, in extremism in India. And that was kind of what I was observing from a distance. And certainly those are not confined to India. I think the rise of the right and the rise of this fervent extreme nationalism is something that we're seeing in many countries around the world. And as you've said, the story is told mainly from the perspective of the three main characters, Jeevan, Lovely and P.T. Sir. Let's come back to Jeevan. What do we know about her family and her childhood? Jeevan is a person who has had to struggle all her life. She, at an early age, had an experience of having her house demolished in, in a demolition um, in which her father was injured due to police brutality. She saw her mother struggle to make a living. She spoke up when her parents tried to get a reliable water supply. So she has had a life in which she has observed her parents always come up against the system and always come up against the might of the state. And she recognizes in a very deep way that the state does not serve a person like her. And she's very marginalised, isn't she, in Indian society by her class, her gender and her religion. Did you specifically want to look at the life of a character who was marginalised in that way? Yes. You know, in order to write a book that was about the rise of Hindu nationalism, I knew that I would have to write this character who has a certain narrative imposed upon her. She has a life where the state can look at aspects of her identity, can look at aspects of her background and say, well, this narrative fits. She must be involved in such a crime. But, you know, she's never given the chance to tell her own story. And that is what she wants so much, to resist the narrative that other people put on her and to have the chance to tell her own story. Let's go back a step to her reading the reading Facebook, reading about the terrorist attack, having a look at captions. She makes a first post on Facebook, doesn't she? And she doesn't get as many likes as she hopes she'll get. So she makes a second post. What does she say in that second post? Well, she makes a second post, which is somewhat more incendiary, where she says something like, and she's responding to a video where um, a woman accuses the police of indifference while her husband um, burned to death in this train attack. And Jeevan looks at that video and she says, well, if the police aren't serving like you and me, doesn't that mean that the state is a terrorist? And what happens a few days after she makes that post? 
She's woken at night by policemen who come to get her and she is imprisoned and charged with having been involved in this terrorist attack. And of course, it's in many ways a very thin case, a very flimsy case. And I wanted to write about somebody who is specifically scapegoated. What sort of life has she led up till now? Has she ever committed a crime before? Has she ever done anything wrong before? She hasn't. She has just been somebody who wants to go to school. She gets a chance to go to school due to a scholarship. Um, She wants to do well at school. She wants to learn English. She's, in fact, teaching um, another character in the book, English. And she wants to secure um, a more comfortable life for herself and for her parents. I think something that I found really moving while I was writing Jeevan's character is that she's someone who realizes that she is responsible for her parents, that at some point she has become her parents' guardian and she wants to give them the comforts, the very basic facilities that they have struggled all their lives to get. And she's quite different, isn't she, from most of the other young people that live in the slum where she lives. Because as you say, she's been to school, she's got a scholarship to go to school, and she's learned English. And those things make her quite unusual, don't they, in in terms of the other people that live in the slum where she lives? Right. I think that at the same time as she has been denied many opportunities, I hope that the book shows that She's also doing her best to make the most of the few opportunities that she does have. Um, You know, she gets the scholarship to go to school in um, an interesting way, which I won't spoil. Um, And of course, at school, she meets a teacher who will have an impact on her life later. She's really made all of the right choices and she's done everything within her power to, to lift herself up out of poverty and to to have a better life if she can but we're always mindful of the fact that she's a poor Muslim woman and when she first talks to her lawyer after she's been arrested she says a woman like me is never believed. One thing I was wondering is does she actually control her destiny Mega? Does she as, you, as we've said, she's done everything right. She's done everything in her power to advance. She's gone to school. She's got an education. She's got a job as a, a sales clerk in a dress shop. She hopes to be promoted. She really, really aspires to be middle class. Can she make that happen through her own force of will or is fate really against her? Is she really doomed from the start? I was interested in exploring through this character how somebody can work really hard, really earnestly, and still be thwarted. I wanted to show how when the system is rigged against you, when you exist within a society where you constantly have to battle the institutions around you, um, it really limits the choices that you can make. Um, And it's not really, in the end, up to your own talents or your own willpower. Let's talk a little bit about the second main character, Lovely. Who is she? Lovely is um, a member of the Hijra community, which is a particular South Asian social category. Um, She is thought to have a close connection with the divine. 
And she is also at the same time, she's reviled. She's looked down upon. Sorry to interrupt, but just tell us a little bit more about the Hijra community. Are they transgender people? Um, You know, I hesitate to make general comments. I think there are scholars who have studied Hijra communities who will be able to comment on them much more deeply. Scholars like Gayatri Reddy and Vaibhav Saria. Maybe tell me a little bit more about this particular person, about Lovely. How does she dress? What does she look like? Um, You know, she is somebody who uh, wants to become a movie star. She goes to these um, acting classes every week. Um, Her big dream in life is to star in a movie. And she is caught within this society which constantly tells her, you cannot have this dream. This is not for somebody like you. Um, But she refuses to accept the shame that this society tries to put on her character who travels from the very margins of society um, while she tries to go to its very center. Mm. And how does she make a living, Mega? How, how does she support herself? She often goes um, with others in her community to bless newborns um, or to bless newlyweds um, at wedding ceremonies. But because of her peculiar circumstances, she's often forced into a position where she has to beg for money on the streets or on trains. And how are hijras treated in India? I read somewhere that I think you said in part they're revered, but in part they're reviled. Do they suffer discrimination? Tell us a little bit about that in relation to Lovely. Lovely is... um, There are scenes where, for example, she is standing in front of a store and the store owner tells her to please go away because customers won't come if she is standing there. Um, So she occupies this strange place where people don't want her to be near them. You know, they look down upon her. But uh, there's also a different scene where villagers come up to her because they want her to bless their um, baby. So it's this strange mix of respect and reverence, um, a kind of sacredness, but also a kind of public hostility as well. How does she know Jeevan? What's the connection? Jeevan is teaching lovely English. Why is that important in India for someone to learn English? English has such a complicated colonial history in India. Um, I think anybody listening who is familiar with India will know this intuitively, that from that place of the colonizer's language, English has now become the language of the elite. It's a language of privilege. And as a kid, I was taught that it is also the language of moving up and Mm -hmm. being successful in life. So we were always told, well, you have to learn English. Um, So that sense of aspiration and striving, I really wanted to have that in this book. Mm -hmm. Do, Do Lovely and Jeevan both live near each other? Does Lovely live near the slum as well? That's right, they do ends up, and we certainly are not going to have any spoilers today, I can assure you, but uh, <laughs> Lovely is the only character who can potentially help Jeevan. And why is that? What piece of information that does she have that is 
very significant for Jeevan's case, for her defense. Lovely. Well, let me word this without any spoilers. There's a particular piece of evidence um, that Jeevan um, is, is trying to refute and Lovely has that piece of information about what that supposedly damning piece of evidence actually is. Mega, you've said that you really enjoyed writing the character of Lovely. I have to say that comes through in the writing. She comes across as this wonderful, vibrant, bold, colourful character. I'm guessing that's what you enjoyed. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's what you set out to achieve and that's certainly what you have achieved. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I really loved writing the character because I felt that there was so much spirit and humor um, in her in her character and in her voice that was really fun to write and um, well for example her section starts Sunday morning time to go to acting class with my hips swinging like this and like that I am walking past the guava cellar so you know it's a very particular kind of English and I wanted to show in that this sense of striving, you know, she has been told that she needs to know English in order to get better roles, in order to read scripts, and that is what she wants. She's not fully there, but she is making her way there. Mega, what did you want to show through the character of Lovely? What, what aspects of the story did you want to illustrate through her? It was important to me to show that even in a society with so many systemic challenges and so many aspects of oppression and discrimination, those systems don't mean that people stamp out their own dreams, right? I wanted to show that there are still dreamers. There are still people with big ambitions who figure out how to move forward when you do live in such a society which does not help you. Let's talk about the third main character then now, P.T. Sir. Who is he and what's his job? P.T. Sir is a physical education teacher and he's actually called P.T. Sir in the book because that's what we used to call our physical education teachers, physical training teachers. Um, he is a, he's a school teacher. He is starting to feel that he is perhaps not having the kind of strong impact on his students that he would like. And so he gets involved in the workings of this right-wing political party. How does he know Jeevan? Jeevan was his student. And what sort of a relationship did they have? Well, how does he feel towards her? I think P.T. Sir's character feels that... He took pity on Jeevan. He noticed that she was a student who did not have the cleanest uniform, sometimes did not have enough to eat at lunch. And he gave her food. He forgave her soiled uniform. He had high hopes for her as a future athlete. He was excited about her potential. But then, of course, um, at one point, Jeevan leaves school and P.T. Sir feels somewhat jilted and somewhat rejected that the way in which he hoped to invest in her, she apparently never saw it. And he feels resentful, doesn't he, that she doesn't properly say goodbye to him and that she doesn't properly thank him for what he's, he's done for her, what he thinks he's done for her. 
That's right. What do you think he wants most from life at this point when we first meet him? When we first meet him, I think he wants his students to respect him. I think he wants his students to not try to get out of every gym class and, you know, not spend their time in gym class gossiping and chatting with their friends. And then, as you've mentioned, he starts to attend some rallies of a local right-wing political party, opposition party, and then he is recruited to work for them. What sort of work is he doing, broadly speaking? He is recruited... um, to provide false testimony at various cases. And his apparent respectability is very useful for this party. He is a school teacher. He occupies a position of decency and respect in this society. Um, His words hold value in a way that perhaps, you know, the word of other characters in this book doesn't. So for that reason, he's valuable to this party. So we've seen him as a teacher trying to do the right thing, being kind to Jeevan, trying to give her some support. And then when he's asked to enter this murky world of appearing at trials and and giving false evidence, does he have any scruples about that? How does he feel about it? Does it trouble him? I think it does trouble him. You know, I wanted to write a character who cannot be an easy villain who has morals and does want to do the right thing. And the first time that he goes to a courtroom to provide false testimony, he is incredibly nervous. He thinks about backing out or pretending that he has fallen sick. So he does these scruples. He does come from a place of wanting to do the right thing. There's a great quote um, when you talked about what you wanted to explore through him. You said, when you're given a little bit of power in a society with huge power differentials, how will you adjust your moral compass and what will you surrender? Would you like to talk a little bit about that? I wanted to see how this person who is not a bad person, you know, he's not an evil person. But he finds that because of this society that he is in, he has to make a certain choice. Either he benefits himself and his family, or he chooses to do the right thing, but the right thing doesn't benefit him in any way. So I wanted to look at what kinds of difficult, questionable moral choices even well-intentioned people are forced to make in such a society where ultimately it's each person for themselves. Mm. And it seems to me that of these three characters, Lovely and PT Sir both do have a choice. They have the ability to make a choice about what they're going to do. But Jeevan, by way of contrast, really seems not to have a choice at all. Is, Is that how you feel? Jivan always wants to exercise what little agency she does have, I think. She is let down in really profound ways by the police system, by the court system. And so she does what she can, which is reach out to the media to try to tell her story. So I think she's always trying to get her narrative out. 
on that note, let's move to what I think is one of the, the really important threads for the, through the book, and that is this concept of hope and aspiration and dreaming. All of the main characters in this book, there's a very strong imagery about going up and going down. There's imagery through the book. And all of these three main characters have hopes and dreams to move up within their society. There's a, a quote early on from Jeevan where she's talking about Lovely and she says, Lovely believed she would have a better life someday and so did I. I want to just talk a little bit about the hopes that each of these three characters have. So before she is arrested, Jeevan's hope and aspiration is to get a promotion in the pantaloon shop and to become middle class. Then we see her hopes and her expectations reduced after she's arrested and she goes to jail. Once she's in jail, then what she hopes is that she'll find a reporter that can tell her story and that the story will be published and there'll be a public outcry and then she'll be released. And she also hopes that they'll be able to track, her lawyers will be able to track down Lovely, who will be able to give evidence that will assist her. Then we look at Lovely's hopes. She hopes to become a Hollywood actress. She wants fame and success and she's learning English for that purpose. Finally, we look at P.T. Sir's hopes. His hopes are basically, if he lies in court for the party, that he'll move up in the world, that he'll hopefully become a politician or have some sort of role within the party. So what I'm wondering is this. How do these characters retain their hopes and dreams in very challenging circumstances? There are people who have developed particular kinds of intelligence and humor and optimism living in these circumstances. And their hope is something that they have to preserve. It is something that is almost, I think, a form of resistance that they can have in their own lives, you know, a kind of joyous resistance to say, I do not accept that my life has to be constrained and limited in these ways. I want a life that is bigger than that and I'm going to do what it takes to get there. Mm. Let's talk a little bit now about the concept of shame in the novel. It's something that emerges quite a few times in relation to the main characters, in particular Jeevan and Lovely. Both of them experience shame at various points. Why do they feel ashamed and who makes them feel this shame? You know, it's very interesting that you ask about shame because I think both Jeevan and Lovely living in this patriarchal society with certain expectations are subject to shame in very different ways than P.T. Sir might be. Mm. And, and that's something that's imposed on them, it seems to me, that they really haven't done anything at all, either of them, to be ashamed of. Who puts that shame on them? That's a very perceptive read. I think in many ways, this is shame that is put on these people by this patriarchal society. And it is a shame that Lovely, for instance, her humor, her ability to tease people and joke with them and make them uncomfortable when they are trying to make her uncomfortable. Mm. That is her way of refusing to accept the burden of that shame. Yeah, there's a lovely line at one point where she says something, I don't have the exact words, but to the effect of, they try to make me feel shame, but I just put the shame right back on them. 
Yeah, I'm so glad that line spoke to you. Um, I think that was definitely me figuring out how this person who is burdened in so many ways is able to resist. What effect do you think shame can have on a person? If you're, let's take Lovely, for example, if you're constantly made by society to feel ashamed of who you are or what you are, what impact does that have on you? You know, I think shame is another aspect of this oppressive society. It's a force of oppression. It's Mm. a force that operates to keep certain people in certain roles. And it tells them that they cannot chase certain ambitions. And, you know, perhaps their role is just to be, you know, X, Y, or Z, and they have to stick to that. Let's look now at... um social media, the power and the danger of social media, which is a thread running through the book. I read somewhere that India had the largest number of Facebook users in the world. And one of the things you you were talking about earlier is um, the rise of this Hindu nationalism in India, in particular since the election in 2014 of the current Prime Minister. Since then, I gather there's been a, a big crackdown on press freedom And a lot of people have been arrested for things that they've posted online. I I read an interesting reference to a report in 2018 that said most of the people in India who are arrested for online speech were recent smartphone owners, over half of them were Muslim, and almost all of them were poor. Would you like to comment on that? In relation to the book and to the characters in the book. So here we have... Jeevan, who's up until now led an entirely blameless life, has not come to the attention of the authorities, all she's ever tried to do is the best for herself and for her family. She makes one reckless Facebook post and terrible consequences follow for her. I guess to me that indicated, I suppose, how precarious her position was within society, that she could be so vulnerable that one Facebook post could have that sort of impact. And I just was wondering, yes, what your thoughts were about that concept that in India in particular, there are a lot of crackdowns on people for the comments that they make online. Yeah, I think, so a character like Jeevan, she turns to social media in opposition to the traditional news media as a terrain where self freely she can say what she wants and reach so many people but the thing that i was interested in is how this terrain is actually not free for the people who have certain forms of precarity in their real lives i think that vulnerability carries over into our social media lives Mm. um it is very much a political space where people can get in trouble. And certain people are unfree in the way that they are in their real lives. So I wanted to look at that. And ironically, Jeevan thinks when we meet her at the beginning and she's scrolling through Facebook, she sees funny captions that other people have posted. And she she thinks to herself, gosh, I can't wait till I can make funny captions, until I can post funny remarks like that. Gosh, I really can't wait to be free like that myself. And then ironically, she dips her toe in the water and she she makes a Facebook post, which has got obviously ill-judged and an element of political commentary in it, which she naively doesn't realise. And, of course, the very op- it's the very opposite of freedom. 
that she is then experiencing. Right. Um, she, I think, is so envious of the people who are in this position of relative power in this society where they feel secure making critical comments about the government, making you know, critical comments about the authorities. And she wants that kind of freedom. She relates that kind of freedom to a position of economic security, um, to a rise to the middle class. But of course, as she finds, um, some people are allowed to make those comments and can get away with them, and some people can't. Let's talk a little bit then about the one of the other concerns of the book, and that is the discrimination against Muslims. Correct me if I'm wrong, I, I've read that in West Bengal, where this is set, it's a majority Hindu population, about 75% of the population are Hindu, and then the Muslims are a minority. Is that right, in West Bengal? That, that's right, but um, I will say that in the book, this is definitely a West Bengal with fictional aspects. So I hesitate to make a direct correspondence between the realities in West Bengal and the realities in the book. But the Muslims are a minority still in, in right. your story. Since 2014, since the election of the Hindu, Hindu Nationalist Party, that there has been a, an increase in violence, religious-based violence in particular against Muslim people. And I gather that in February this year, there was a particularly nasty uh, incident of religious violence against Muslims. How significant is it to your story that Jeevan is Muslim? It's really important because I wanted to write a character who is scapegoated by this particular government um, and the way in which they do that is by pointing to certain aspects of her identity, including her identity as a Muslim woman. And she, in the book, is not particularly religious. Um, what she cares about is her job, enjoying her new phone, um, going to school. Um, but that is not the narrative that she's allowed to present about herself. The narrative that the state imposes on her is, you know, it's this poor Muslim woman who must be disloyal, who must be unpatriotic in some way, is to resist that narrative, to put forward a more complex narrative about who she is. It seemed to me that was a very strong element of the public outcry against her, um, was the fact that she was Muslim, that there were there, a lot of this baying for blood that we see from the public is based around the fact that she's Muslim. That's right. Let's talk now, inevitably, about the parallels in your book to the Black Lives Matter movement, which has obviously erupted in your country and around the world. Before that, I just was wondering, you've lived in the US since 2006, since you went to college there, uh, started at Harvard and then John Hopkins. Would you have been able to write this novel if you lived in India today? You know, I, I do wonder about that. I wonder what kind of self I would have and what kind of book I would have written had I stayed. But I think that being away definitely sharpened my focus in some ways. You have said that one of the central questions you tried to answer in a burning is how do we live in a society which does not serve us? 
Could you talk a little bit about how that is relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and around the world today? Um, I will say that it has been very eerie watching the book launch in a moment when so many of its concerns, you know, the rise of an extremist state, the rise of a state which does not hold room for certain groups of people within it, um, widespread massive corruption, all of these questions are so much at the front of mind for so many of us today. And the rise of nationalism, I guess, as well around the world is, is parallel with what you're describing in your novel. Absolutely. I think an ideology like extreme nationalism, part of what it does is it seeks to present a very simplified, flattened, inaccurate idea of what certain groups of people are and what they want. And I think part of what fiction can do in response is to provide a more complex narrative, is to allow us to see how other people are flawed and ambitious and want to love and make jokes and tease others and carry forward friendships and just to see people in their fullness. Mega. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so very much for coming on Books, Books, Books. I wish you the very, very best of continuing luck. I know that your book has gone absolutely gangbusters in the United States. It's been in the New York Times bestseller list. You've had fabulous reviews from all of the leading publications. And I am absolutely sure that it's going to be equally successful here in Australia. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for listening to Books, Books, Books. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go to my website, nicoleabbody.com.au to listen to all the episodes and find out more about the podcast. You can also find me, Nicole Abbey, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and look for my reviews in Good Weekend. You can subscribe to Books, Books, Books at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all the usual places. Since it's a new podcast, it would be lovely if you could go to any of these platforms and give Books, Books, Books a rating or review. Thank you. I look forward to talking books with you again soon.